Roll down tide. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, this is the Beer Garden presented by Oxford Crystal. like to hear a little bit more conviction in your take, though. There was a lot of maybes, a lot of what-ifs, a lot of questions. You need to just get on here. You need to fire and, and put me in a position where I have to tell you that you're wrong. And now, here's your host, Neil McCready. Nice. Nice. Welcome into another edition of the Beer Garden presented by Oxford Crystal. I'm your host, Neil McCready. Today on the show, my very good friend, the former host of this here show, Jeffrey Wright of 92.9 FM in Memphis. You can hear him every morning on the Jeff Calkins show and then hear him on the afternoon with his own show. He and Mark Gennato have a show, Gennato and Jeffrey. It's from 2 to 4 every day on the ESPN affiliate, affiliate there in Memphis, 92.9 FM. Jeffrey, how are you? I'm doing well, man. You know, when you say an intro like that, it's almost like your your little birdie made it. I know. It's I, I, it's a great sense of pride. It's uh if, if you were here, I'd take you to the Oxford Crystal. We mm-hmm. can get ten crystals for six dollars right now. We could also well it'd be a little late in the day, but we could get a scrambler breakfast bowl if we went in the morning time. I know that's get fresh eggs. Things. Yep. And then all day long, and it's still hot, and I think the highs next week are in the mid to upper 90s. In early October, you can get $1 slushies all day long, Sprite slushies. There's grape. There's lemon, kind of a cherry. It's all there at the Oxford Crystal, Highway 6 West in Oxford. I'm coming to you from Clark Ford Studios. Give them a call, 662-257-1900. Tell them what Ford product you want. Corey's going to send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. What you're going to do is the smart thing. You're going to get the quote. You're going to get the car, get the truck. You're going to love it. You're going to love the service after the sale. Corey takes great care of you. He wants to be your car guy. He wants to be your truck guy. He'll prove that to you. 662-257-1900. So, Jeffrey, we're going to talk a lot of football, but first I'll show you how big of a man that I can be. Congratulations to your Cardinals for making the playoffs. I know they still have, as we tape this on Thursday afternoon, there's still a little bit of work to be done for them to uh, to win the Central because Milwaukee, for the second September in a row, they don't lose in the month of September. It's un, it's it's give Craig I'm gonna give Craig Council a lot of credit. If I had a vote, I would vote for Mike Schilt for Manager of the Year because of the job that he's done in St. Louis. But the job that Craig Council has done with the team that lost Christian Yelich to a broken kneecap is truly remarkable, all biases and stuff aside. They have played lights-out baseball, even without um, Yelich. It's really remarkable stuff. Yeah, and then you also have to factor in, you know, look at their run differential. I mean, they've won 88 baseball games with a plus-7 run differential. So, you know, I would— It was a negative run differential until this week. I mean, I would be—I was (laughs) probably—felt like it was a negative until last night— I mean, to me, when you're finding ways to win that close of games, I I give credit to the managing. And so many of those decisions, and you know, obviously there's some luck involved because I don't think Mike Schilt made the wrong decision on Tuesday night when he elected to go with when he elected to go with Andrew Miller in a one nothing baseball game and Andrew Miller gives up a home run, like and that sends the game to extras. I don't think it was Mike Schilt's fault. There was runners on first and third, and Matt Carpenter couldn't hit a fly ball. So, um, yeah, it, it's I don't know. I, I'm I'm not super pessimistic, 
about it going into the weekend because basically I feel like the Cardinals just probably need to win one. I feel like if they win one, they're probably still okay. And if yeah. they win two, I think they're probably fine. I don't think the Cubs are going to mount the, the most hearted, the most spirited defense. I think the Cubs are kind of done. They, they've lost two in a row. They play in Pittsburgh tonight. Never they've underestimate. Lost. Never, never, never underestimate the desire to try and spoil somebody's season. Yeah, I don't know that they have it in them, though. They've lost eight in a row. They're done. They've really started writing obituaries for people there. Uh, I don't think Rizzo's going to play anymore this weekend. They took him out yesterday when it became obvious that Milwaukee was going to win their game and eliminate the Cubs officially. Um, I don't. Bryant's not going to play. Baez is not going to play. I doubt Zobris plays much at all. I, it, it'd be the B team beating them. It would be Ian Happ and I mean I think David Bodie's going to play shortstop all weekend because I want to think I think they want to get a look at Nico Horner at second base. So St. Louis would have to get super duper tight, but you can't count on Milwaukee losing. That's for damn sure. Well, I mean they play the Rockies. I mean you can't count on it, but I also you know, I I would also counter. I mean, I I know what you're saying with the Cubs B team, but it's not like the Cardinals have this overwhelmingly talented roster. I mean, no, you I, saw that over the weekend. They just sort of willed their way to four wins. All four of those games, one run games. Um, the Thursday night game, I thought was the biggest game of the weekend. It felt like a playoff game to me. It did. You know, it was funny. I was driving to Fayetteville and, uh, Caroline and I were talking and we really didn't have it on. And it got to be, I think four to nothing at, at one, no four to one. Cause Rizzo had hit the home run early in the game and, uh, it was four to one and, and, uh, Flaherty was just cruising and she and I were kind of engaged in conversation and I lost track of the game. And, uh, she started kind of nodding off and I flipped back over to it and I was listening to the Cubs broadcast and Pat Hughes, who is so good, made the comment, he said, been to so many of these Cubs-Cardinals games, and the one thing I know is that no matter which team you're talking about, whoever's trailing is going to make a run. And he said, kind of going at, when the Cubs got out of the eighth inning, they retired the Cardinals in the eighth, and he said, in the ninth, I should say, and he said, you know, bottom of the ninth, hey, if, if Nicholas Castellanos can get on, you never know. And sure enough, he drew a walk, and the rest of it happened, and they tied the game up. And I remember thinking as they tied that game up, I said, well, here's kind of the season. Because if you find a way to win this game, you really get the Cardinals thinking. And then credit where the credit's due, the Cardinals sort of escaped that ninth inning with it tied. That thing could have easily. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and then Carpenter, homers off Kimbrell. And uh, they shut it down. And I thought I thought that was a huge win and a huge loss. And I think I was proven right. And it's funny. I was listening to an interview with Theo Epstein yesterday, and he was talking about the Brewers' run differential. And you could see that in his head, and he's an analytic guy. You could see in his head that just boggles his mind. He's it's easier for him to absorb the fact that the Cardinals got them than it is that the Brewers got them. He he's 
he's a very intelligent person and he can't do the calculus with how that happened. And it's, it's a lot of stuff and, and you, but yes, you're right. St. Louis is not when you watch them play, you and I talked about this weeks ago when you watch them play. And I bet I've watched a hundred of their games this year. They never pop off the page the way the Braves do, the way the Dodgers do, the way the Yankees, oh my God, the Astros, those kinds of teams, the Minnesota Twins even, those teams, when you watch them, they pop off the page and you go, they, and they are talented. They you know, are, and I've, I've, because this has been something that you and I have, have discussed ad nauseum, and I wonder, is the biggest reason is the biggest reason the Cardinals don't pop off the page is because they don't hit well. Like all those teams we described, Dodgers, Braves, Twins, Yankees, Astros, they all hit and hit up and down the lineup because one thing that I will give the Cardinals credit, the one thing that they actually do well, because that was, when I saw them in person, that was kind of the thing I was really struggling. I was like, okay, I want to see him in person before I kind of, before I really cast judgment one way or the other. And I always leave kind of thinking, okay, well, and I mean, again, it's a small sample size, but they play really good defense. They, they do. really do. They field the ball well. They catch the ball well. I'll tell you the other thing they do, and especially for a team that has a couple of guys like, I mean, they have Yadi Molina on that team. He can't run at all. But what they do on that team is they really run bases smart. It's it's the thing that I think I killed. It's, it killed the Cubs over the course of the season. They they committed more outs on the bases than any team that I can remember in a long time. Just watching some of the bonehead moves that they would make on the bases to give outs away on a team that hit more home runs than any Cub team in history. When you, when you have that much power, and the Cubs have a lot of power on their team, when you have that much power, you can't give outs away on the bases. And they did, and St. Louis doesn't do that. And then in the second half of the season, uh, Flaherty was as good a pitcher as there is in the game. And Wainwright, give him credit, man. He sacked up and, and pitched better in the second half than I thought. I didn't think he had that in him. Nicholas uh, got better. They've... Their bullpen's always been sort of this work in progress, but they kind of found a role for Carlos Martinez, and he's not perfect at it, but without him, they're not where they are today. And uh, they just kind of figured it out, and then they benched Matt Carpenter when it was time to bench Matt Carpenter, and I love DeYoung at, 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 in the middle infield. I, I just like the way he plays the game, and then the other thing is that Mike Schilt, unlike his predecessor, Mike Matheny, hmm. decided that, you know what? We got Dexter Fowler to be a leadoff man. And he's not a perfect leadoff man, but he's the leadoff man. If you ask him to hit fifth, it doesn't look right. If he hits first, the one thing that he's good at still in his career is he's good at getting on base. That's what he's good at. He's good at getting on the damn base. He's not going to hit, he's not going to hit for 900 OPS and all that stuff, but put him in that role and leave him there and sure enough. And then he made, I guess it was, I can't remember which game it was. Might've been a game before they got to Wrigley. In fact, I know it was, they were playing. St. Louis was playing 
before they got to Wrigley and Fowler robbed somebody of a three-run home run in the ninth inning of a game. Maybe it was at Washington that was going to get – it was about to get scored. Oh, yeah, it was like going to be like a three-run bomb. I think it was going to cut it to one. That's exactly right. And yeah. Instead, he shut the door on him, and who knows what happens. I just think he got a boost of confidence from Schilt in much the same way that he got from Joe Madden when he first got to Chicago. Just, hey, I believe in you. Go play, do your thing, and not deal with all of that Matheny nonsense that the Cardinals, I think, were burdened by for years. Schilt just kind of believes in the guys and lets them play and lets them do their thing and lets them be a little more modern, if you will. And they were looser, and kudos to them. I'm curious to get your thoughts, and we're going to get to football in a minute, I promise, but I am curious about this. We never talk about it much on, on the Oxford Exxon podcast or whatnot, but in your mind, is there any team outside of the big three? So even including Atlanta, is there a team outside of the Dodgers, Astros, Yankees that have a realistic shot at this thing? I don't think so. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think anyone has a chance other than the Astros and the Dodgers. I could be proven wrong, but, man, with the Yankees, I I don't think they have the front-line arms. I mean, you can make an argument that – you can make a realistic argument right now. The three best pitchers in the American League are the one, two, and three of the Houston Astros. And I just think the Yankees – I think we've seen this. They're built to play in that ballpark – I just don't know, man. I, I'll I'll believe it when I see it. And I'm not sold on Aaron Boone. I think he's kind of a dummy. He's interesting because I'll tell you this. His success that he's had in uh, New York this year, and I'm with you so much of the – I can't figure out what I think about him, honestly. I go back and forth a little bit, and I've watched it with interest because as a Cub fan, I know that – Theo Epstein, I now know from talking to people that Theo Epstein had sort of targeted Aaron Boone as a guy that they were trying to bring him into their organization a year ago to sort of be molded to replace Madden. And the success that Boone has had, I think, is pushing Epstein in the direction that I think he's ultimately going to go with their manager's job, which is David Ross. Yeah. Baseball guy. Worked at ESPN, kind of gotten a chance to be around a lot of it, talk to a lot of people, see the analytics, blah, blah, blah. I think that's the route they're going to go, and I think Boone's success has made it more palatable for them to go that route. First off, I don't think being a manager is reinventing the wheel. I just, you know, when you bring in a guy because you want to improve your media relations – and then that guy doesn't exactly have great media relations. I always find that fascinating. Let, let's also be real. You and I know this because we've lived it. There's a big difference between the ESPN color analyst that's coming in to see, you know, a game every other week or, you know, a week here, a week there, and someone that covers the team every single day. Absolutely. And... I don't I I don't know I don't have the I don't have any metrics in front of me but I just I find myself wondering how much is Aaron Boone how much is Aaron Boone impacting what the Yankees are doing and how much of it is it they finally did it the right way 
They sucked for a bit. They drafted well. They acquired assets. And they built a team the right way. Yeah. So how much of it is Boone and how much of it is they finally woke up and realized, okay, this is how you build a baseball team? I think it's the latter. I think the front office is where the games are won and lost. Managers, especially now that everything is so analytical, managers really are back to being motivators. Motivators and honestly, like therapists. Um, yeah. And I, you know how I feel about therapy, so I'm like, I'm not using that as a, I'm no, not using a, that as a pejorative. Like I think when a guy's a sensitive player is in a slump, recognizing Fowler's the best example. I mean, Dexter Fowler playing for Mike Matheny was a disaster. I mean, I would watch it. Look, that is, I, by the way, soft. that is that's being kind. Yeah, I have a soft spot. Even though he wears the the little birdies on the bat, I cheer for Dexter Fowler. I do. When he made when he caught that ball in right field, had that been any other Cardinal, I would have been like, "You son of a!" And with him, I was like, "Hey, man, good catch." I'm happy for the guy. I like him. He was. He was so fun to cheer for on those that 15 and 16 Cub team. That It's that, weirdly how I am with Hayward. It's like every time Hayward gets a hit, somehow I'm like, yeah, good job. Yeah, well, it, cause, and he's a good dude. He's a good example of, you know, I, I'm convinced he left St. Louis in large part because he didn't want to play for Mike Matheny anymore. I'm, I'm fairly 1,000% convinced of it. But Fowler gets – goes. Joe Madden was good for Dexter Fowler's career. No doubt about it, period. The numbers bear that out. He goes to St. Louis. He plays for Matheny, who was bad for his career. And then Schilt, they, look, Fowler's in his 30s now. He's, he's not a gold-glove outfielder. He never was. And now that he's lost a half a step, he's damn sure not. But he's a, an emotional guy. He's a sensitive guy. He's a, a, a happy, friendly guy. He plays best when he's happy. And Matheny was not that guy. And Schilt looks at him and says, okay, I got to be the guy that when he looks like he's down, I got to figure out, are you tired? Is something going on? Do you need a little break? What do you need to do? Do you need a pat on the ass? And there's no question. He's that guy that like, you know, in with the Cubs teams, it was so famously done with, with Madden that, you know, before every game, they do the little fist bump thing. You, you go, we go. And was that true? Of course not. That team was driven by Anthony Rizzo and John Lester and Chris Bryant, not Dexter Fowler. But Dexter Fowler went to the plate every single day believing, hey, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the engine that's, that drives this team. And it helped him. And when Schilt did the same thing to him this year, he took off. His numbers, his numbers in the last four months of the season are really good. Yeah, and I, you and I have talked about this, and I don't – I don't have any metrics to back it up. Like It's just a situation where you and I both played a lot of baseball games in our lives, and then we've watched even more baseball games in our lives. And there's just something about a leadoff hitter. And it's weird. It's like a leadoff, a good leadoff hitter may not be a good two-hole hitter, may not be a good five-hole hitter, may not be a good six-hole hitter. A good two-hitter may not be a good leadoff hitter. A good five-hole hitter. I cannot explain it, but there is something about baseball and a comfort level of where you are and because baseball's such a it's such a mental grind. I mean the only other the only other I'll use air quotes sport that I've played that mentally drains you as baseball does is golf. 
Yeah. Especially when you're in competition. Like, if you're in competition and you're playing a tough course and it's a competitive, it's a competitive event. After 18 holes, like you're like you're you're spent like mentally. Football and basketball for me were always you were you were you know you were physically spent. Like with golf and baseball, it's more like emotionally spent. And you know, there's certain examples in baseball where you can be like truly physically spent. And then in golf, if you know weather or whatnot, like you can't. It can happen, but it, there's some type of mental aspect and with. So much of the game being overcoming failure just minimally, and that makes you successful. I completely like Fowler's that guy, man. Like when he's in the leadoff spot, like it just makes him a different player. I think it's one of the things that as baseball gets more and more analytical, even though the analytics say the leadoff man doesn't matter, that it doesn't matter where you hit, the eye test tells you something different. Well, I mean, this is kind of the problem. Like, you know me. I love statistics. But I'm not a guy that sits there and goes, well, what does a number say? And I let that completely be my opinion. Like, I'm a huge believer of using analytics, whether they be advanced, what a, you know, how find numbers that you that that you think are useful. And I'm a big believer of using that as data to take like take a snapshot if you will and to provide detail and to provide perhaps explanation for why things are the way they are why is you know you know why is this guy hitting why is this guy not hitting i mean you know are they are they atta- you know can we look at the the parts of the zone that they're attacking him what's the you know what are the pitch sequences that he's seeing and you know uh, I do think, I think analytics and whatnot are extremely useful. But I 1,000% will never believe that, I'll never agree with any, if you're a statistician and you tell me that being in the zone isn't real, I don't, like I just, I'm sorry, like I, you may not be able to metrically prove it, but that doesn't mean it's not real, like. Yeah, you and I both know. Like when you are when you're hot at the plate, the baseball it's not, it's a it's a cliche for a reason. Like it looks like a beach ball. It's it's not even so much like how big the baseball look looks. For me, it was everything slowed down. Like you know what I mean. Like when I'm struggling, a 82 mile an hour fastball could feel like 98. But if I was seeing it right. You know, ninety ninety one. Like I could, I could get. You know what I mean? Like it slowed down. And oh, there, uh, even when when you're dialed in, you just can't wait to get to the plate. Yes, you're you like, like you, you you're, you're doing the thing where if you're in the dugout, like you're you know you're immediately counting, and then you know you're playing the inning in your head. Okay, well if he gets on, like you know how you know how many guys are going to be on. Like yes, you want like you are playing every scenario out in your head because you just cannot wait to get back in the box. And if you're slumping, oh my god. You just you you dread it, and you stand in the in the on deck circle, and you dread it. You just you know you're pr- up and, there, and you're just like God. Just please walk me. To think that doesn't happen with major league players is ludicrous. Because, like you said, the 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 draining part of that game. 
I mean, when you're facing guys like Garrett Cole, and then you're facing these bullpen guys that everybody throws now, that everybody comes in throwing 100, and stuff's got life, and you don't feel exactly right, you're not exactly dialed in, whew, that'll exhaust you. And then you start doing that deal in your mind, am I done? Have I forgotten how to hit? And I've heard major league players talk about how they think, have I forgotten how to hit? Am I doing something? They go back and watch the film to make sure that that they think they're doing what it is that they thought they were doing. And it's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of therapy that, that goes on. It's just, but you know, like you talk about the leadoff thing and it's like one of the reasons Houston's so good is they throw Springer out there every single day. And here's this 290 hitter. He's got power. He runs bases well. And the people behind him are really good players. And I don't know. Houston's kind of my, I, I don't see how, any team beats them. They I mean, I mean we're, we're, we're simpatico on that. I mean, I the only team that can beat them is the Dodgers, and I know I would still pick, I'd still pick the Astros. Dodgers team is loaded. Lots of good young players. Their front office, Friedman and those people, they, they really don't get enough credit for what they've done. Everyone talks about them being, they just talk about the pitching, but They've put together, I mean, from Peterson. Of course, homegrown. Yeah, Peterson, Muncie, Bellinger, Seeger, Lux. Uh, I mean, just, I'm just kind of trying to think off the top of my head. The guy, they, they don't have a lot of household names in their lineup other than Bellinger. And, and they just pitch it really well, and their bullpen is really good. And, I don't know. We'll see. I that's you know it's the Braves Cardinals series has a chance to be pretty interesting. I think because the Braves pitching doesn't just wow you, and the Cardinals pitching can. Well, the, it's not so much they wow. You. Flaherty wows you. I mean, Flaherty's an ace. Like I, I, I'll go to oh, the grave. Flaherty's terrific. Like I'll and, go to the grave. Oh, that guy's that guy has. I mean, not that there was a, a ton to dislike, but I mean, like I have fallen in love with that guy. But the thing about them is, with the exception of Waka, and even though you know he's day to day, but in a five game series, Waka ain't throwing. No. Even Wainwright has his. You know what I mean? Like Dakota Hudson has really, really had a really nice second half of the season. Um. You know the three arms they're going to throw. None of them really stink. They're going to go Flaherty, Wainwright, and Nicholas, right? I think they'll go Flaherty, Nicholas, Wainwright. But yes, those will be the three that I think. And I then Dakota, Dakota will be like the guy that they move to the bullpen that's long, you know, for longer outings. Yeah, I think that series is going to come down to Wainwright starts. Yeah, I can see that because, I mean, the advantage is, as you know, Flaherty's going to go probably one in five if it goes five or maybe one in four. And then, oh, he should go one and yeah. He so the, so the problem is like Mikolas is actually good at home. So start him in game three. Yeah, presuming presuming the Braves have home field, which they will. And then I, if you're two one, I go with Hudson in game four, and I pitch Flaherty on normal rest. Yeah, I mean if if you're if you can. I'm not a big – I don't care with Flaherty if he's at home or away. Like, I don't. I, but 
Mikolas's Mikolas's uh, his splits are so different that yeah. I'd rather throw him at home. Um. So I, yeah, I don't know. Like, it, I guess here's the problem that I have. Remember when? Remember when the 2015 uh, division series? Cardinals won, I think, like 100 games. You know, they had a terrific regular season. They won 100. Milwaukee won 98. No, Pittsburgh won 98, and the Cubs won 97. Yeah, and the Cardinals wind up playing. The Cardinals wind up playing the Cubs, and you know, like I, I just never, like I never, like even even though that team won so many games, like the whole time I was working for you, I was like. This team is built to win in the regular season. This team, this team will not get. This team won't win a series. Like, even it's weird on this team. Like I've talked myself into like the Cardinals can beat the Braves, but it just feels inevitable. Like you know what I mean. Like to me, Dodgers Astros feels inevitable, and I'm sure in baseball, you know, it, nothing's guaranteed, especially if you get a couple of hot arms, and you know now, especially in baseball, if a couple of guys run into run into a couple of fastballs or whatnot. It can completely change the outlook of a game. But I I just I don't I don't have high expectations. Like I'll enjoy playoff baseball. It'll be nice to see my team in it again. Hopefully not in the freaking wild card game because that just seems awful. Um wild card game is the most deflating as a fan, it is the single most deflating thing your team can be in. And and in this Cubs run that just ended, the Cubs played in two wild card games. And they, they beat Pittsburgh in 15 and then lost to uh, 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 Colorado last year. And that damn wild card game when you lose it as a fan is the single most depressing. That's the worst. It like takes it takes you a year to get past it. I, I didn't get fully invested in this team, I think, because of the wild card game a year ago. Cubs won 95 games last year, went to the wild card, lost. It is in extra innings, if I recall correctly, it's just a, a hey, I, I get it. It's good for the ratings and all that stuff. But I mean, it's great no, theater. Here. But at the same time, it's like, how long do you think? How long do you think Billy Bean has spent thinking about the year where he went for it, and he finally broke out of his mold? He went for it. That's they the wind big. up having the collapse. They don't even win the division. They end up on the road in the wild card game, and they get bounced. And he gets bailed out a little bit for that deal because Addison Russell turned out to be a horrible human being. Sure, but still, you know what I mean. Like, I, uh, yes, he he, it, it's uh, you know, it's it's uh, the the football recruit that you that you recruited really hard, and uh, he winds up signing somewhere else, and you thought you had him, and then he winds up, I don't know, shall we say, beating the crap out of a girl on video. Yeah, I mean that's. I make fun of Phil Rogers for his assertion about about Addison Russell and his downfall being the catalyst to the Cubs slide because it's utter crap. But it is worth noting that if Addison Russell ends up not being the horrible human being and ends up being the all-star shortstop that he was in 16, it does look different today. Oh, completely I mean, different. Right says that. Listen, baseball's not hard. It's like football. You know, if you got if you're pretty good at catcher and you're pretty good up the middle and in center field and you're decent on the mound, usually those teams win. Yeah, you got a shot. 
it's you know turns out you know in in Tom Brady throws to a a, a cast of you know good but not great guys receivers you know what I mean like good but you know what I mean but he's always protected up front and then on defense they are always built they're always built the right way we're going to switch to uh we'll switch to football in a minute I'll, I'll, I'll finish my thought on the wild card though you're right about like the Cardinals we talked about them a lot we'll use them as the example if this season ends for them in a division series or in a championship series, it's a great year. Oh, if, especially um, coming in. I thought this was like an 83 win team, honestly. Yeah. But if this ends up being a deal where Milwaukee wins out and they end up in a wild card game and you're facing Max Scherzer and you get beat, that is so deflating. It, it is one of those things that I think it hangs over a franchise far more than losing a division series. I, I really do. I, I firmly believe that. Yeah, because it has the emotion of a game seven. Yeah, and you lose it because from pitch one, it's like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. It's it's just well, it yeah. feels like a play-in game. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, and it is, I guess, technically, but like, in many ways, it is because if, if you win it, you you're in a division series. Now you get a chance, like the Cubs did in fifteen, to kind of exhale and you have a little momentum. But if you lose it, it's all over. Uh, we'll switch to football, but before we do, I want to tell you this podcast brought to you by Community Mortgage. It's located in Oxford, Memphis, DeSoto County, and Chattanooga. It's 30 years old this year. It's one of the oldest mortgage companies in the southeast. All of the underwriting and the processing is done in Memphis, so you're getting local underwriting that understands your market. It's also the leader in condo financing in the Oxford market. So ask Jason Lowe about Community Mortgage's float-down option. It allows you to lock in the current rate, but if rates go down before you close, you get the lower rate. J Lowe, J-L-O. W-E at communitymtg.com. We are also brought to you by Strategic Partners and Media. It's a full-service advertising agency that works with businesses of all types, big or small, Fortune 500 companies to startups. SPM can help your advertising needs for TV, radio, print, and every facet of social and digital media. Look, here's why SPM is really good and different than other ad firms. They handle everything in-house. They don't sub their work out. The writing, the production, the editing is done solely by their staff, crafted uniquely for their clients. And it's an old Miss grad and a Mississippian who's a partner in the firm. So give them a, a call, give them an email, see how great they are. It's Austin at strategicpartnersmedia.com. And we're brought to you by LB's Meat Market. I know uh, Jeffrey's a big fan of LB's. I am too. I know a lot of you are. He's been packed a lot lately with people that heard about it on the podcast. If you're coming in, uh, Next weekend for the Vanderbilt game, hanging out this weekend, whatever the case may be, uh, they're open Monday through Saturday from 10 to 6.30, Sunday from 1 to 6. It is a perfect way to spend your football Saturday. They've got everything you could be looking for. It's right across the street from Kroger at 2008 University Avenue. Give Greg a call, 662-259-2999. He'll have everything packaged up for you. Or you can do what I love to do, what I think Jeffrey loves to do, and that's go in and browse. They've got fresh-cut steaks, handmade burgers, uh, fresh sausage, smoked sausage, seafood from the Gulf. They've got uh, all sorts of sides like the jalapeno poppers, the stuffed mushrooms, pork, chicken, everything you could want. The absolute freshest cuts. It's delicious, great service. You'll love it. Make sure you tell them that you heard about it on the Beer Garden and Greg will throw a few extra things in your sack of goodies to make your uh, evening that much better. Now, I mean, to right. your point, I I don't ever go into LB's going saying, okay, well, I'm going in to get this. I literally walk in, 
And then, you know, if, if Greg's helping other customers, I just, you know, I understand it might take me five minutes or so. And I wait till, you know, he's done helping other people. And I just go, all right, your turn. And he goes, you know, here's what I got. And here, you know, what are you in the mood for? And he just picks it out. And it's, God, it's, I just, I do not go to Oxford. If I'm staying overnight at any point in Oxford, I'm not going down there without making a trip to LB's. It's, I love it. I, I do I love too. There's, a, I, I don't know. I just, yeah. When I walk in, I'm just like, oh yeah. Yeah. I, I go in sometimes and do the exact same thing you do. I'm just like, what do you think? He's like, what do you, what do you, what are you in the mood for? I'm like, well, what do you think? Well, I mean the best, the best advertisement I can give for the ribeye sausage is, so when uh, we go down to the condo or grilling place, like I have to go outside of the condo and there's like a hallway and whatnot to walk to like a little balcony that, that our grill sits on. And normally, if I head to the door, Carly, my dog, like if I take one step to the left, she is beelining it with me. It doesn't matter if there's food or anything, and you know how much that dog loves to eat. I I grilled a ribeye sausage to have kind of as our little like snacking while I was getting while I was uh, reverse searing the old uh, steaks. Yep. Carly didn't like. I I went for the door to go outside. Carly didn't move. Like she was just looking straight up, like, uh huh. This is this is what I want. <laughs> yeah, she knows. She knows what's good. She All plays right. the odds. Yeah, she does. Uh, NFL Week Four is upon us. So far, any any big, before we even get started, I'm gonna highlight a couple of games. Get your thoughts on them. Any huge surprises for you so far in the NFL? Yeah. Uh, in terms of pure surprises. I'm not all that surprised by Buffalo, um, and I know everyone wants to point out the schedule, but it's like, I don't know, the NFL is that weird thing where the Patriots can beat up on a bunch of crap teams, and everyone just goes, well, they're the Patriots, huh? And then the Bills will do the exact same thing, and goes, well, yeah, but let I me mean, look at their schedule. Like, uh, And I get it, the Patriots have clearly earned the benefit of the doubt, while perhaps the Bills haven't. But I still think that's a, like, if you look at how they're built, and I don't think it's a contender, obviously, but they play really solid defense. They have a quarterback that extends plays. He is a threat to run. And for the most part, they don't make catastrophic mistakes, and they play really, really soundly. Yeah. And so, like, I don't think that's a coincidence. Like, did they build a title contender? I don't think so. Like, I, I would... I would be pretty adamant that I don't think that's a title contender. But it but feels I, like something more than just a, eh, Buffalo. Yeah, th- to me, this doesn't, like, I feel like this is like a 10-win team. I, yeah, I, I don't feel like that football. that's, um, I love what the Dolphins are doing. Like, you and I have screamed forever in the NFL. I, I do not get why you don't tank in the NFL. It's never made sense to me. You, it is the only, it is the only sport where, where you finish is where you draft. Like it's never made sense to me why teams don't do it. And if you're to be shitty, go all the way. Yes. And by the way, it's a lot less painful because your fans are only missing eight games. Exactly. And you're and they and they're going to get super excited about the draft. Well, and more importantly, you don't have a local TV deal. The national the the television deal is a national deal and it's distributed that way. Like, it, it's not, you know. And I got 
tell you, if every Saturday you watch this kid at Alabama Tua, you got to think, hey, yeah, I want that. Yeah, we'll get into that in a minute. I'm I'm with you because there's been a couple of college football narratives that have that have. He's got the whole package, man. He's charismatic. We'll go there in a minute, like you said. But uh, let's see. All right, who? Nothing missing in his game. I'm not surprised by the Browns because I told you all year, or I told you all summer, man. I don't know, man. That kind of that kind of locker room of personalities and a, a guy that's only been an offensive coordinator, I think, for ten games. And he's never been a head coach, like. That to me, that to me was was a little more obvious than I think people were willing to admit. And then it was super obvious when the Browns cut Robinson, the tackle. They cut him, knowing he would clear waivers and that no one would pick him up, and then re-signed him at a lesser rate. So that told you where they were up front. Um, so that's not all that surprising. Um, I guess the. Easy answers the Colts, but I don't know. Like I think Brissett's like I'd rather have like Brissett than Kirk Cousins because Brissett is a freaking load, man, and he's competent enough as a thrower. That offensive line's really good. That defense is good. They got a good running game. They built an offense for Andrew Luck, and 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 Brissett. right. They they don't have Andrew Luck, but they do have a. They do have a capable and functional quarterback. Yeah, he's Andrew Luck light. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's Walmart Andrew Luck. Yeah, he's a he's smart a little bigger, guy. but he's not not quite the pure thrower. But you know, I, like I I don't I don't have real problems with that. Um, but it, we'll we'll do it this way. A couple of games that that are highlight kind of games this weekend. Uh, the one Sunday night is the one I'm I'm really looking forward to. Cowboys at Saints. I know everybody's hung up on the Saints and Bridgewater and no Breeze. By the way, Breeze says he can get back faster than six weeks. Mm-hmm. Dallas sure looks the part early. I know everybody loves to get obsessed a little bit with every throw Prescott makes, but it's kind of like Indianapolis. They've built this offense that really has no weaknesses, and they're just saying, go run it. And so far, and it's just three games, but so far this season, he's run it really well. He has, and I, when I watched them, the things the things that I never liked about Dak as a quarterback were, I felt like he was the ultimate. He had to see a guy open. He was late a lot on throws. I've I've never thought like, oh, he's like a, you know, I don't think he's breeze in terms of accuracy, but I also don't think like you get the, you know, I don't think he's like a. a a terrible thrower. I just never liked that. I felt like he was always late. I felt like he didn't anticipate well, which those probably go hand in hand. And then now you watch it this year and I'm not seeing the same issues. Now, my bigger question is, so they've, they've brought in Kellen Moore to run the offense and Kellen Moore is doing a ton of shifting and a lot of, a lot of stuff pre-snap, that there wasn't obviously a lot of film on the on the Cowboys doing. I do want to know how this offense looks, you know, eight, nine games in. 
Because remember, the Wildcat worked in the NFL for about eight weeks. Yeah, I want to see once they kind of adjust, once the NFL, they being the NFL defenses, once they adjust, I want to see if he still looks like this. Because if he does, uh, they they're they're for real. Like I've always thought their defense the last two years has been wildly underrated. Uh, and uh, that's my biggest question going forward with the Cowboys is the shifts and how do they, you know, is this is this going to be something? Is this just the way that their offense runs now, or is this something that people are not prepared for? The other big game in the NFC, uh, another pri- a premier game, three twenty five on Sunday in Chicago, Minnesota at the Bears. Both teams two and one. Both teams probably off to about the start that most people expected. I think some people maybe thought the Bears would be three and zero right now. They they lost the opening night game to Green Bay. The, let's talk about the Bears for a minute because they're they're interesting. I, I, obviously, being a lifelong fan and all, but. Mm-hmm. All jokes aside, hey, defense, hey, everyone knows being a you, fan, it's it's born in. You know, it's Brett. When you watch them on defense, you go, "Oh my God, these guys could win the Super Bowl." I mean, they, there is there is really no weak spot on that defense. They're very good up front. They, their linebackers, beyond just Mac, are playmakers. They've got playmakers at corner, playmakers at safety. I think they're coached well. All of that stuff, and then offensively. Yeah. Well, it's you and I have, have talked about this. In college, you can uh the kid at the kid at Texas, uh Ellinger. Ellinger is a guy that I would never believe in in the NFL, but he is good enough to win with in college. Tough kid, good enough thrower runs it well like you can you can do things with him in college you can be successful with him in college and you can make him look pretty good in college yeah what is so painfully obvious to me the monday night game was the classic example case keenum is not an nfl starter he's you know he's the classic great backup which yeah. you and i've always joked about saying like he's the Greatest player that you never want to have to play. Um, He's a nice little insurance policy for a team. Yeah, Yeah, you know. Chase Dan. You saw on Monday night, in my opinion, you saw both cases in which if you are not, if you're an average quarterback in the NFL, it shows. And if you're a below average quarterback, it gets exposed. Yeah. I mean, when I looked at the final numbers for Trubisky and saw he went twenty-five for thirty-one, like I just I remember going, "What?" Well, they didn't go downfield hardly at all. No, he, and that, it, the Broncos it, game was the Broncos throw. game was an indictment okay. on him. Like yeah. they were, it was like bootleg, flip it out to the flat guy. And the reason why I know that's an indictment, um, when I would go in and play against good teams. Uh, you you know what the first thing I would do? Uh, get it out of my hands. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm fascinated to see, because I, I like Nagy. He's he's clearly a bright coach. He clearly understands that he's dealing with a fragile quarterback, if you will. And they're trying to build some confidence and get him to sort of believe in it. And he admits, hey, we're just taking steps. 
like you with the Cowboys. I'm curious to see what the Bears look like in eight weeks. Because if Trubisky can make some steps, he doesn't have to make a lot of steps for them to be a winner. They're so good defensively that all he has to be is just above average. And they got a shot. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's that's the thing that you and I talked about. I can't remember when we when we were doing one of these podcasts. What's the narrative if if that field goal, if you don't have the double doink field goal, Oh, it's totally different, Jeffrey. It's 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 he led a comeback. They won a playoff game. They would have gone to LA, presumably lost in the NFC semifinals, and nobody would put that moniker on Trubisky. He's, he'd be a young quarterback who had uh, engineered a playoff win. And you know, and I I get it. Like that's kind of you know, it's a position that is judged based upon. You know, wins and losses. Like, it just it is. I mean, you know, the biggest argument against Eli Manning being in the Hall of Fame is is win-loss records 500. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, if you take out the record, the win-loss record, his numbers and Roethlisberger's numbers are really similar, with the exception being interceptions. When you break the interceptions down, it's about two and a half more per year. And then you also factor in, Eli's not, you know, when his team's down two scores or three scores and the game's over, he's still chunking it. Like, I, so, like, I get it. Like, that's that's what that position is, is judged on, fairly or unfairly. That's why they get paid what they get paid. So, I, I just think those those have been kind of the the biggest things that I've noticed thus far through the NFL season, especially now that we've got. You know, we've got some good quarterbacks hurt, um, and we're starting to see uh, – we're going to see some either inexperienced quarterbacks or some uh, talent-deficient quarterbacks. And it's there's going to be a lot of ugly NFL games this year. Last NFL thing, and then we'll finish with Tua. Um, I know it was one game. He gets another shot this week against the Redskins. What would you think of Daniel Jones and his – First start. It's tough to not. It's tough to not get excited as a fan. Um, in terms of what I saw from him as a quarterback, I was really pleased because the thing, everything that I had watched of him, and I'd watched a lot. He was very good when he was very good when he when everything worked. You know what I mean, like. Decent pocket, um, decent pocket, read coverage correctly, knew where to go with the ball. Like he's extremely well coached, and uh, he's a pretty good athlete. The thing that was painfully obvious to me, and it's why, it's why I said I never understood. Like I would have started the kid all along. Like I get it, and you know, you know how I feel about Eli, but it's like there was no point. Like. I don't understand what changed in two weeks. And the biggest thing that I've noticed between the difference in the offense, it's not throwing. It's the fact that the offensive line's not great. They've actually been, statistically, they've been better. They've also played some some not, you know, they have been, they've been better. I'll give them credit. They've been better. But so many drives would stall and just flutter. 
because Eli would take a sack because he can't really move anymore. And you saw it with Jones. It was almost, you know, the difference was, you know, it's the same offense. It's the same play calls and whatnot. Just the difference is on third and eight when they get after you, Jones could escape the pocket. He ran for a couple first downs. He was able to make some throws on the run. Um, but he did a really good job of, he did a really good job of, it appeared to me he always knew where to go to with the football, and he looked like he was delivering it on time and delivering it accurately, which is huge for me. And then the concerns I have were Tampa was pretty, Tampa did a lot of the dared him to beat them and kind of was a little more basic than I thought they were going to be. I thought they would have like really gotten after him and tried to confuse him. They really didn't. Uh, I don't think he's going to be the type to get confused much. He's a bright dude. He is. He is. I don't know. Just whenever I, and I know he dealt with a collarbone issue a lot last year, and that could have easily affected some accuracy, but the thing that always concerned me was anytime, anytime he got pressure, and I'm not talking about like, oh, uh, four-man rush, guy gets beat, and and uh, you know he makes a bad pass. I'm talking about, you know they're coming after you, you know you got to get the ball out of your hands, and it's one on one. Like you know you know where to throw the football and whatnot. He he would just really really fold. In the moment. So, like, that's going to be kind of what I'm watching going forward. But, I mean, I don't... Dude was nails down the stretch. And at the end of the day, like, that's what you want. A guy guy knew he had to go get a touchdown. And he went and got one. And I think that's... I do think there's some there's something to be said for that. Whether or not Tampa's any good doesn't really, doesn't really matter to me. Because the Giants aren't any good. Last thing, speaking of quarterbacks, we'll finish here. Ole Miss plays at Alabama on Saturday. Uh, the game's on CBS, which speaks volumes for the league and some stuff right now. But anyway. I think it just shows, no matter what, you see it in the NFL, it's just there's fewer teams. The NFL caters to about seven or eight markets in yeah. terms of their television schedule. It's the same in college. I mean, at the end of the day, CBS... CBS had they saw Auburn, Mississippi State. I'm like, man, we want to put we want to put Alabama on. So they're going to show Tua. So far this season, he's thrown for 1,300 yards, 17 touchdowns, no interceptions. I know he's played bad teams. I know he has elite wide receivers, but the kid is special. I mean, I've always thought since the first time I saw him, oh boy, he's got an NFL arm, and he absolutely has an NFL arm. He's got NFL stuff, too. They've done a really good job of either developing him or staying out of the way of his development because he looks terrific. Yeah, I I get it. They went head-to-head in the game, and one team blew out the other. But I've been pretty consistent on this. I've never – I'm not saying I think he's bad – but I never bought in on the Trevor Lawrence as God thing, or like this is the greatest prospect we've ever seen. I just remember, like that just brought me back to like every kid that signed with USC when I was in college, and it's like this is the greatest prospect we've ever seen. It's like, all right, 
tap the brakes. Like, I thought the national championship game said more about Alabama than it did about Trevor Lawrence. And if truth be told, I thought it said more about Alabama's secondary and Clemson's receivers than it said about Trevor Lawrence. Most of the throws were outside one-on-one throws in which he was throwing it up to his guys, and they made plays. Like, I'm not saying that that's not the position, but I just don't understand how someone watches to a play and watches how fast he makes decisions, how accurate he is with the football, and how, like, the, the hallmarks of playing the position he is special at. And I just do not understand. There seems to be this desire to want to, like, to knock him. Like, somehow, I missed the memo where Joe Burrows is throwing to a bunch of two and three stars. And no, he's that studs, too. Somehow, two is the only one that's throwing to good receivers. Or I missed the memo where Trevor Lawrence is uh, throwing to, you know, just a bunch of old ragtag guys. And also, Yes, I think the Alabama receivers are great. I really do. And you and I t- I talked about this last year before this game, about how undervalued those receivers are. I'm still not convinced that if they if they had Matt Corral throwing to them, that they would be these top ten picks. Oh, no. Jerry Judy has benefited more from Tua than Tua has benefited from Jerry Judy. And that's not to take anything away from Judy. Right. It, that's why I'm, I, I don't want this to be like a slight on them that I'm saying like, oh, they stink. No, it's – Of course not. It, it, I'm just not convinced. Far too often, far too often we sit there and go, man, look at these great receivers. And I think the classic example, with the exception being Evan, uh, how many of those Ole Miss receivers benefited from Chad Kelly being an elite downfield thrower? Oh, it's it's worth noting for sure because other than Evan, none of them are really doing a lot in the league. No, I mean, you know, Cody. I know I saw Treadwell got signed because they were having depth issues at the Vikings again. But I mean, you can make the argument that Cody Core. I mean, Cody Core got signed before Evan did. I mean, not Evan, a bigger part before Treadwell did. Yeah. It's it's one of the I mean, one of the ones I'll give I'll give Hugh Freeze and them when, when they evaluated Evan Ingram and brought him in in that class as kind of an under the radar guy that was was a hell of a get because he immediately looked the part and he's a terrific pro I mean that catch he made the other day was ooh oh and then I mean just turned it up immediately I mean no he, he's Turns out there's no, there's no substitute for speed. He's as good a player and as total a package of a player slash person slash leader slash competitor that I've ever covered. Yeah. No, he, he – that, that was what I always – I always thought the irony of it all is Tunsil was the least popular of the big three, if you will. And I always thought Tunsil of, of Treadwell, Tunsil, Kimdichi, Tunsil was the best guy. I always thought that was ironic, but you're right. Evan is, of of all of them, Evan is the guy that is the easiest to root for. No question about it. Great kid. Just, And I'm not surprised at all that he's having the career that he's having. I, he's got all the tools to play in that league for a long time. But well, I mean, to your point about Tua, it's like, I missed the part where Oklahoma's played awesome competition, where 
Well, that's yeah, the thing, Jeffrey. The, the, the elite teams are so head and shoulders better than everyone else. I think that's, it's. I think. I think it's a bigger issue than people realize, and here's why. And we'll close with this. Yeah. College football has now sold itself as a television product. And it's not about the live event anymore. You're broadcasting the live event, but it's not about the live event anymore. That's fair. I agree. And if you look at the... The NBA's been able to manage it a little bit, but if you look at most of the most of the sports that sell themselves as TV events, you have to have truly, like it has to be truly competitive, and there has to be some legitimate parity. Yeah. And it's, if anything, the rich are getting richer. There's no doubt. And I do think if it becomes Alabama Clemson five, you know, I, I don't know. Like I, I I don't think college football long term is quite as healthy as everyone thinks. No, I listen, it's in large part because Georgia doesn't have the offense to put a good defense away. College football got a favor the other night when Notre Dame stayed in that game. Well, I just think in general if you're going to be a television product, you have to be a national product. Yeah, so how do you sell if you're CBS Saturday? I'm not ripping on Ole Miss here. It's no, I'm not either. Yeah. Documented. This is a rebuild, and this is tough, and all of this stuff. But if you're CBS, and you've got this window for, on the East Coast from 3.30 until 7.15, there's a real shot. I mean, a real shot that this game is not even competitive by 4.30 in the afternoon. What oh, the- I would go, this game won't be competitive. You could say four. Yeah, I'm talking Eastern time. But oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, how do you market that? I mean, that's the part that's of That's why it. they're trying to market. That's why they picked Alabama. It's your... your so they market Tua, 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 and... and and, and the dra- Alabama, Alabama, Alabama. Like, yeah, this is just, one of the nation's best. You're getting to see one of the nation's best teams. But I just don't think you fool the consumer like that anymore. The, the guy, I always use my friend in Dubuque, Dubuque, Iowa, who couldn't care less about Ole Miss or Alabama. No, he's flipping around to find a one-score gain. Yeah, and so he's flips. He's on CBS, and the moment that thing goes 21-zip, he goes, oh, for the love of And he's gone. He's not coming back. Because he's got Twitter. If some, if some miracle happens and the game gets close, he'll find out and come back. It's not going to get close. And I, I I just I don't see how that's appealing. It's it's the part of when people say, well, the NFL product is boring, and, and, and it is. But you rarely see the blowouts at the NFL level. And we're sitting here four weeks in, and, I mean, I can go down this list of teams. I mean, the the, the Packers are a contender, the the, the the Chargers are a contender. The, the Colts look good. The, the Chiefs are absolutely a contender. The Lions are off to a, a solid start. The Browns are solid. The Ravens are solid. The Patriots are the obviously. The Texans are solid. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just looking at the games being played. The Rams are a, a, a title contender, no doubt. The, the Bears are good. The Vikings are good. The Cowboys are a title contender. The, the Saints are probably a title contender. It, it, the the 
there's just it, that's my point is it's just there's a lot of teams and when you do it at the college level you go okay well who's a title contender Alabama Clemson I guess Georgia maybe LSU I mean LSU's exciting all of a sudden maybe. I think LSU's a contender I think there are I, I've, I think I've seen five teams that I believe in that are legitimate contenders before I just named an Oklahoma no an Ohio State Ohio State okay yeah I'm not convinced Oklahoma wins their league so it's the same teams it always is no, but hey, uh, in, you know, everyone's got a chance. It's why I think they have to address the playoff. And uh, this isn't some type of hot radio take. You have to come up with some type of eight-team playoff where you can, you know, okay, we know the Pac-12 top to bottom, and the top team in the Pac-12 probably isn't beating the top team in any other league. Okay, we can all accept that. But to build some national interest, you've gotta you've gotta get this thing to where people in California and people in major markets on the West Coast that they're they're still watching in November. Oh, I agree. I, I I've always thought the eighteen playoff made the most sense. Yeah, and it's more inclusive that it gets people more excited and, and I don't and, and yeah you got to figure out a way to compensate the players because the elite players don't want to risk another game uh, all of that stuff you've got to figure out maybe you shorten the regular season by a game I, I don't know what the solution is how you do it but if you're truly interested in in giving the sport long-term health and long-term viability and excitement it's an 18 playoff and yeah would an 18 playoff do you run the risk of having a semifinals that's all SEC? Sure. Okay. People would watch it, though, because they'd be great teams. Yeah. Uh, one thing I know about America, if you have more meaningful football, they're going to watch it. Yeah. Well, do, I mean, if, if the Final Four of basketball is Virginia, Duke, North Carolina, and somebody, does the fact that it's three ACC teams mean you don't watch it? Of course no. not. You it. It's the Final Four. It's the Final Four. So the, fi- the, the national semifinals market themselves. But you've got to get it to where there's a chance that I'm with you completely. I've always been on this train. I've been on it for a long time. It's one of the one of the the tragedies, for lack of a better word. It's football's never a tragedy. It's one of the that one of the reasons I would have loved for fourth and twenty five to not happened, and for Ole Miss to run the table is I think it would have led to an eighteen playoff quickly. Well, it's why. I'm low-key rooting for three SEC teams to make the playoff, and it's not because I'm an SEC homer. It's because that's the – I think – hey, oh, two – It could really happen. It could. It could it easily could happen. happen. And especially like, if the Big Ten and the Big 12 start to eat themselves and the Pac-12's already done that, the ACC's not going to ha- – I mean, I mean, to me, the only thing that are certain is you know for sure one SEC team's getting in and you know one ACC team's getting in. Beyond yeah, the, that, you can convince me of about 10 different scenarios, and I'd, I'd listen to all of them. The LSU-Bama uh, loser going 11-1, and one, the LSU-Bama winner losing to Georgia in the SEC title game is potentially three SEC teams. Yeah. I mean, how are you going to differentiate between 11-1 and one 11 and 1 LSU for hypothetically saying speaking that 
dominated almost every other game they played in, and then lost lost in Tuscaloosa in a competitive game. Like, how do you differentiate that between, you know, a twelve and one Washington or a twelve and one, you know, pick your other Pac twelve team, Oregon, I guess. Uh, I, I, I don't, you know, what I mean, like, I, well, I'm you with know, you. I'm with you. I don't. I don't. I think the computers would look at it and say that those SEC teams were stronger than every team not named Clemson. I mean, Clemson's in a bad league. Well, I mean, I, I'm at the point with Clemson. I don't think even if Clemson plays a terrible football game, that they can be beat in league. I'm with you. The league is so bad. I mean, I th- I'm trying to remember. I think it was Bud Elliott, maybe. Like they were comparing the AAC to the ACC, and top to bottom, the ACC is better because the bottom of the ACC is not as bad as the bottom of the AAC. But I think, other than Clemson, I think he said Memphis on a neutral field to be favored against everyone else in the a- the uh, ACC. And I've seen Memphis play; they're fine, but there's nothing they're, special. They're what they are. But, yeah, they're fine. All right. Well, we'll we'll have opportunity to visit about this as the season goes along because it's going to be an increasingly big topic as the calendar turns and the temperatures drop a little bit. So, hey, appreciate your time a lot. Good luck to your Cardinals in the postseason. I genuinely mean that. I'll be I'll be happy for you. That's about as far as I can go with it. Um, so for Jeffrey Wright, I'm Neil McCready. That does it for this edition of the Beer Garden presented by Oxford Crystal. Don't forget. Uh, check out the Oxford Crystal Highway 6 West in Oxford. Check out LB's. Um, you're coming to town. Great. Take care of our uh, take care of our sponsors. We appreciate it when you do that. We know that you do it, and we appreciate you doing it. For Jeffrey, I'm Neil. That does it for this edition of the Beer Garden presented by Oxford Crystal. Until next week, take care. One